Sonic States. Um, okay, well, hello and welcome to uh, Sonic Talk number 62, uh, recording on the 10th of October 2007 and going live on the 11th, which is in fact my birthday. So it's kind of a birthday issue. Um, so um, happy birthday to me. <laughs> um, happy birthday. Yeah, oh, gee, guys, don't, we'll have to pay some PRS. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, this week we have uh, a Rich, Rich Hilton. Is he playing? Oh, bless you. Bless you. What a kind soul you are. Well, in that case, I'll introduce you first. Um, Rich Hilton um, from sunny Connecticut, who uh, I bumped into at this year's AES show. Very nice to meet you, by the way, Richard. And you, Nick, had a great time. I I genuinely felt um, really, really happy to see you, actually, because it was, um, you know what these shows are like. They're kind of full of people who you just kind of stare at their chest to try and remember what their name is. And I, I seem to remember saying to you when I w- I'd spent quite a number of uh, hours wandering around looking for someone who might look like you, but I realised, you know, you and myself both having um, less than full coverage on the top um, were in a majority, I would say, at the show. So uh, it was a bit like looking for a needle in a haystack. But you found me, and uh, it was a beautiful moment. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And I'm somehow- the string swelling in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I'm somehow comforted by the knowledge that you were staring into people's chests all day looking for me. <laughs> well, I had an idea what you looked like from your um, very small Skype icon, but it's still, you know, I, I recognized you instantly. Anyway, um, so Rich Hilton, welcome to the show. Thank you. And also uh, we have Mr. David Spears from GeForce Software. Hello. Who wasn't at the show. but I'm uh, sure No, I wasn't. I'm oh. sure we'll have comment. Uh, hopefully, you'll have been watching all our video. Um, just to the jet, this goes to all because uh, we managed to get quite a lot of stuff, and it's still it's still coming out at the moment. Although we've had to take a break because I don't want to clog up the network um, while we while we do the podcast. But there will be more to come. I think Nuendo Four just went up, and I've got um, something from Isotope and various other bits and pieces. Uh, anyway, um, also we have um, Mr. Dave Robinson from ProSound News Europe, who was in fact at the show, and I think you got back probably a day later than me, so you're probably feeling a little bit worse for wear. I managed to get away with the, uh, um, the jet lag so far. How are you doing? Well, uh, yeah, I had a bit of a, a, a rough night last night, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll be fully adjusted by. Uh, by the uh, by, the end of today, it's it's one of those things. New York's such a funny place to come back from because you know it's five hours time difference, and you only get seven hours on the plane. You try to do the red eye flight, and it just leaves you in a in a strange place. You know, you don't really have the the the, the time that you do if you fly back from somewhere like Los Angeles. You know. Yeah, so, I, uh, that's, yeah, I know exactly what. I managed to fall asleep almost as instantly I got on the plane and woke up, slept through dinner and breakfast. So I'm very <laughs> pleased with myself. I, and I think I probably got off lightly looking at what, when I did open my eye to look down, I thought, no, I think I'll stay asleep. Yeah, we'll see the best. <laughs> and of course, uh, Mr. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, uh, good to have you aboard also. Good morning, Nick. Good to be here. Uh, good to have you. I know you were going to try and get up to AES, but couldn't make it that weekend. It would have been nice to see you there too, of course. It would have been a pleasure to be there. No, got uh, wedding wedding plans to attend to. Of course. Yeah. Ah, how are they going? Wow. They are going really, really well. Um, we're about uh, seven months out, and uh, almost everything's taken care of. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. That's really quite astonishing. Yeah. Um, it's been pretty painless, and from what I hear, it can be a nightmare. So, so in other words, you haven't taken a stand on anything yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Whatever, dear, it's fine. Uh, presumably, you've, you know, you've decided you know who the bride is as well. I may or may not have taken a stand on anything. Uh, ah, you, you can neither confirm or deny that. Yeah. I can neither confirm nor deny my opinions on anything that has to do with my wedding. I can tell you, PJ, there that's you a great no wonder way to start. No conflict. That's a great way to start, but I'm afraid you won't get away with it for that long. You'll be, yeah, that's that's you'll, probably you'll be, true. You'll be forced for an opinion. What is your opinion? I don't want to tell you because I know you'll disagree with it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, well, congratulations, and I'm glad it's been going very well. So um, we're yeah. back from AES, the uh, three of us anyway, um, where it was it was kind of a good show. I, do, I don't know if you'd agree. It was, um, I've never been there before. I've never been to the Javits Centre. I'd heard all sorts of things about it, and I wasn't quite prepared for, for the sort of size of the atrium. And I'll tell you one thing I wasn't quite also prepared for. It was kind of 80 degrees and 85% humidity, and I was kind of mm. coming there from the UK. It was absolutely baking, and I, I've been to New York in November, and it's been freezing. So they're having a bit of a weird weather moment over there. Is that How long has that been going on for, Rich? 
Uh, was unseasonably warm for about 10 days there, but I know you're going to be extremely comforted to know that it's cold and rainy right now. Oh, that's good. Hey. Well, it's actually quite <laughs> nice here for a change. So, yeah, AES, um, some interesting stuff all around. I mean, uh, one thing that we did find was a bit confusing. You know, we, get in, we got in uh, the night before, uh, afternoon before, had a bit of time to acclimatise, came straight to the show for 9.30, thinking, you know, we'll hit the show floor. We got our first appointment at 11. We can wander around and kind of get our bearings. And um, then we're told, no, it doesn't open until midday, <laughs> uh, at which point we were a little bit um, sort of flummoxed because we had an 11 o'clock point- appointment. But they did give us some exhibitor passes, so we wandered around and watched all these people scrambling and- to get their their stands together uh, I, I really feel sorry for the jazz mutant guys because uh, when i got there they were still like you know using drills and tapping and, and, and taking things out of boxes and this was at about 11 o'clock <laughs> so they, they must have um had a pretty hectic morning how did everybody feel i mean rich you were there and dave you were there dave what was your impression from the show was it a success it felt like it to me the the AES, the the american AES, because for, for those of you listening out there that don't know, that there's always an American AES show uh, in October, November, and it alternates between the West Coast and the East Coast. And then there's the European AES, which um, um, flings itself around Europe, and that's, it was in Vienna back in May, and it will be in Amsterdam in May of next year. But the, the, speaking to a couple of people, they always like the New York show, because it attracts a lot of people and a lot of studio guys, and obviously there are a lot of studio guys in New York. So it's uh, you know access for for um, for guests and visitors is really easy. But um, I know that uh, last year it was in San Francisco, and uh, it, next year it's going to be in San Francisco. And uh, there's a general feeling in the industry that um, San Francisco is not the place to have a show because they don't get the guys coming up from um, from Hollywood, you know, the sound and vision guys, um, the post-production houses and the biggest studios are in L.A. Just a little bit too far for them to make that effort to get up to San Francisco. But New York, yeah, it's always a great show. Mm, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Rich, how, what were your thoughts? I mean, uh, how did you feel about the show? Was it a good one for you? I thought it was really good, and I, I did feel somewhat more of a buzz at this show than I felt at the last few. Um, for me, the AES is primarily a social occasion where I see people I haven't seen from the industry in a long time, folks from New York, folks, folks from L.A., and folks from across various ponds, meet, uh, you know, put faces to names that you know through Internet communication or through podcasting, and... Uh, just generally have a nice time and try to get some information about new stuff. I, I thoroughly enjoy AES, and uh, lately I always make it a point to bring my kids, who are uh, you know good young men and, and learning little bits about this stuff as well. And uh, it, it even enhances the social atmosphere, usually. Highlights for anybody. I mean, obviously we've got a few big stories. One of the big ones that I really enjoyed, and um, before we go elsewhere, there was, there was, you know, the Ableton 7 was a pretty big release, and... Uh, I don't know if anyone's had a look at that. Dave, did you get a chance to check the video out that we, we shot from that? We shot one with Houston Singletary, who's uh, the Ableton guy. And while it's not a kind of wowy new everything, uh, it's got some really great workflow things that make me going to go and have a look at it again, From certainly from producing Beat's point of view. Um, I did, yeah. I did purely from uh, seeing Houston, actually. He's a good mate. No, I was just, uh, so I'm, 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 I'm sitting on the ninth floor here in London looking out over the river and there's a helicopter flying around with, with, um, trailing a big sheet, um, with pop art is Gagoslan. Uh, now, I don't know what that means, but maybe, um, maybe you can put a link to whatever that is, but it's literally, it's circling around the Thames and, uh, like some, like in a video or a movie, you know, and it says pop art is Gagoslan. Very distracting for me, looking out the window. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. Well, it's just, it, you almost sound like you could be from the Chopper News. If you had a background, we could be kind of, you know, it could be like Fox News. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, PJ. That was great. Um, we did have a, a, a quick chat. This is another video thing that we've got to go up. Uh, I did an interview with uh, Gerard Baylors. I think that's the right way of pronouncing it, uh, who was um, telling us, you know, his thoughts about the release. But he was sort of saying, basically, you know, they've, they've refined and kind of amalgamated things like the compressor that they've put in, turned it into one compressor, and people are kind of apparently on forums going crazy for this new compressor in Ableton. So it just looks like they're really kind of consolidating stuff. But it, it's funny how they can do it and not be sort of slammed for not making it a major update. Um, 
and other people can't. I don't know how, why that is, but um, anyway, anybody you, an Ableton Live user? Uh, I actually was asked to investigate Ableton uh, by my employer and uh, spent a whole bunch of time over the last year working uh, on this program and uh, got to know Houston very well and uh, the whole crew over there in the New York office. And um, I think that this is a fairly significant release for them. And it has some pretty outstanding features. It has some new virtual instrument rack stuff, some new virtual virtual instrument layer stuff where they have a percussion box that's kind of a much more involved version of the uh, previous beatbox machine. I can't recall the name of it that they've got. And then they had some kind of feature where you could lay out, you could slice up a loop almost in a, uh, like I don't a know, Rex file, yeah. like a Rex file, like a recycle-like behavior. And then it would lay the individual slices not only across different MIDI notes, but across different faders. Yeah, that's very cool. That is and really they could be processed cool. like completely separately, and you could just grab a couple and do really twisted things. It's It was, I thought there were some very interesting enhancements to an already really cool program. It's certainly going to make me kind of come back to it because I think that for beat making, it just they've made a lot of things just look pretty outstanding, to be honest. Yeah. So uh, that's in beta at the moment. It's not actually um, released. PJ, you wanted to come in as well. Well, specifically speaking to the feature of being able to slice slice up Rex files and process them on individual faders, that's uh, that directly competes with a product like Stylus RMX. And sort of takes the best one of the best features of RMX. I mean, it's arguably RMX has hundreds of best features, but one of the one of the best features is the edit groups, being able to get into an individual sound within a loop and and affecting that individual sound. And I think um, Live has gone a long way to competing with a product like that by implementing that right in the software. Not to mention the fact that now you can bounce uh, sound to picture and bounce video out of live directly, whereas before you could not. You had to um, independently export your audio, take video from outside of the program that you may have imported into the program and mux them together in a, in a different editor. Yeah, well, I think that's right. I mean, and also the uh, the fact that you can change time signatures as well. I know, uh, Rich, you were talking um, that you were investigating. Richard Evans, who uh, is a sometime uh, participate in the podcast who's been touring with the Peter Gabriel band. He was telling me um, when he came in, he's delivered me a, a kind of travelogue. So I'm going to cut that together into a sort of uh, podcast from on the road um, in, over the next week or so. And he was saying that he's basically running the whole show out of live. So the band follow him and he can kind of, they can change arrangements on the fly and everything. And he just said it was absolutely amazing, you know, because it just meant they were totally free to just do what they want to do on stage pretty much. And that's so, you know, I can only see more of that kind of stuff happening, perhaps. Ableton are a real success story, aren't they? I mean, you look at when they launched, in fact, I can remember when they launched Ableton Live at, I think it was at a NAMM show, and given that we're up to version 7, it must have been, you know, six or seven years ago that they did that. And I remember someone who's very, very now senior at, at M Audio um, saying to me at the time, you know, kind of interesting product, but wasn't really sure what what it, what to do with it, or, you know, it was for playing out live, obviously, but couldn't really see it being a big sort of catch-on. And then, you know, it's grown and grown in reputation. And um, and now people are swearing by it. I think I just think that's that that's great to actually develop a, a piece of software and find a, a real kind of uh, a niche that needs to be filled and to, to to fill it in a very competent way. But I, I do have to question why they call it Ableton. You know, it's the last thing you'd call a, a piece of software. Isn't I know. It? I, I should have asked this, um, um, Gerhard that. I, that was a, that was a. But it's a bit like one of those questions. It's you know. So where did you come up with the name? It's just like you right. know, questions not to ask pop groups kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but maybe I should have done because it's it's not very um, Germanic either, is it? It's as far as I understand. So it's it's an interesting kind well, of. I'm sure that I'm sure that was deliberate. You'll find most most. Mm. I mean, for whatever reason, most of the German companies do come up with fairly uh, English sounding names for their for their stuff. Quite well, often. yeah, Roland's not exactly Japanese, is it? Yeah, right. right. No, well, there's that no. too. No, and there's a history Boss. to how that was chosen. But uh, speaking yeah. to your point about it being a niche product, which it is, I thought it was interesting to look at the gaggle of people around the Ableton booth as compared, for example, to the gaggle of people you'll find at the DigiDesign booth, the Neve booth, the Motu booth, wherever. It's a very sort of intelligent, young, 
DJE hip. It's a, it was a very interesting social atmosphere at the Ableton booth that I found not entirely similar to what else was going on on that huge floor. At this point, I'd like to give a shout-out to a chap called Andrew Rispoli, who uh, I met at the Ableton stand just after we'd finished our interview with Gerhardt. And he came up and said, I recognise your voice. You're that guy from the podcast. And I, it was one of those moments. And he, he was a really nice guy. I just want to say hi there. I've never had been recognised vocally before. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I also met, uh, met a fan of the podcast this week, um, a chap in town here named Ken Bramstead, who owns a company called BW Noise. They do a uh, picture for television. All right, cool. Yeah. Fan of the podcast, listens well, every week. We wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without all of a, all of you lot. So you know, thanks, guys. Say, <laughs> so, so Nick, speaking to um, to what you were saying earlier about why Ableton doesn't experience the flack that others do when they don't release what you might consider to be a major upgrade. Although, although I would argue that Ableton Seven is, uh, it, given that they re their entire their entire audio engine, but they release uh, a whole number release of their software every single year and have done since ah, okay. year 2000 and so i think that even if you don't see the feature you want in program the stalwart users of the program say well i've got you know maybe less than a year or a year until i might see that feature appear or at sure. least a revolutionary new features in the program well, um, you can watch the video on Sonic State. I'll get the video from Gerhardt up there as well, because one of the things he was saying, because I sort of asked, well, how do you know when to stop adding features? And he said, well, that's very difficult, because you know we, the, the primary focus of Ableton, or Ableton is to make sure it's easy to use and nothing we do gets in way of the, the way of the workflow. So that's the kind of philosophy for that product. Sonic Talk, sponsored by Yamaha Music Production. Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk A couple of really impressive things and one of them was the Pro Tools 7.4 and I, I was really uh, Phil Jackson who is uh, one of the kind of finest demo guys on the planet I think I mean you may remember him from such uh, hits with, with us as uh, the, the the first version of uh, Logic 5.5 I think it was he did a, a, a 40 minute demo and it was a very um, popular video and uh, we got to do another thing he now works with digidesign and uh, i know there's a certainly at least one pro tools user here in rich hilton did you get a chance to check that video out? and do, do, do those features kind of excite you in any way i think it looks like a fairly significant upgrade um they're really selling their elastic audio feature mm, i saw and- that that was impressive yeah, they, well, they, they've—they're all looking at as PJ said earlier. They're looking at Stylus RMX. They're looking at uh, Ableton's workflow kind of advantages. They're looking at the Rex file thing. They're looking at other programs. Cakewalk facilitate so specifically, I would yeah, say. Yeah, those programs that facilitate your creativity by providing this sort of uh, perceived elasticity. Melodyne, and, yeah. Uh, Melodyne as well, yeah. yeah. But this thing, but this particular time. Stretching on the fly thing really reminds me more of the warp marker feature in Ableton and that sort of behavior. And his demo was really good. Yeah, as, I mean, as he, it was just it totally. You kind of go, oh yeah, that's great. I understand why that feature would work for me. Yeah, definitely. right. Well, he's he's very good at being simultaneously informative and enthusiastic, and he really uh, transmits his enthusiasm to you as he's filling your head with features. And it's it, he's very good at it. He's one of the best, really. As was Huston at um, at Live's booth. I mean, there yeah. there are some really good pros in this industry that know how to you know express the features well and and reach out to your creative side in the in that part of it. I also noticed that in their browser, this is where I saw the Stylus RMX kind of parallels and such. Um, they, they're now their workspace workspace browser where you have. Um, all the you know I don't know Steinberg used to call it the audio pool. It's where all the waveforms live, and uh, now you can be auditioning on the fly at any tempo from any source loop, assuming it's cut properly and been analyzed. Um, and it works uh, like the browser, say in Stylus RMX, where while you're playing your music, you can be like switching between things and looking for stuff that works. Yeah, 
at the time. And it all lines up with your track. Yeah. yeah, it all lines up with your track automatically and everything. And uh, so they've kind of caught up to that on some level. It's interesting to watch companies, much like computer companies, uh, looking at each other's features and finding their own ways to express them. Yes. Well, uh, that's a very interesting point. <laughs> that's the way of not that's a, putting that's it. A, that's, a, that's a sort of almost worthy of, uh, of you know, a, a politician there, Rich. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. That was very good. Dave Spears, you've been a bit quiet. What did you make? Did you get a chance to see the DigiDesign Elastic Audio thing? I didn't, no. No, sorry. What about the was Ableton it? Live? I did, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I checked in. That. I thought that was excellent, really. Um, and I watch any demo from Houston. Yeah, I, he he used to um, do our stuff when he was with uh, M Audio and Digi, and uh, it was brilliant because I could skulk off to the bar and uh, leave him. Yeah, and safe hands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you drank, Dave. No, hardly anyone does. It's only recently. <laughs> <laughs> Only since joining this podcast. I'm drinking right now. Yeah. <laughs> I wish yeah, I was. <laughs> Let's not go there. We've been in trouble with this before. Dave, you're a very bad influence on me, but I'm fully hoping that you're going to come down to our new office where there's much more room. For, there's a fridge and everything. So, you know, oh, we could perfect. actually stock up. Yeah, in advance. Brilliant. Well, um, so yes, uh, that's well worth watching. Um, both the Ableton Live 7 and the DigiDesign uh, 7.4 software upgraded. They also introduced, is it C24, a new control surface, which looks pretty wicked. That was uh, another demo that we got. We were very fortunate to uh, for, to have them give us plenty of time because, believe me, it was really hard to kick people out of the workstation so that we could get our stuff shot. But uh, Kyle Ritland, who's their kind of main PR guy, um, was very, very helpful. So I'd like to say thanks to Kyle for making that happen. I've got a quick question. Yep. How many control surfaces does Digi have now? I've absolutely no idea. We've got the 003, Pro Control. Um, I don't think they still sell Pro Control, do they? D24, is that the Focusrite board they put out? That was a while back, wasn't it? Pro but, 24. But they've, discon- they've replaced that with this new product that uh, Nick was just talking about. Ah, okay. Yeah, the control, the C24 is, and the control 24 was, was the joint, it was the collaboration between Focusrite and Digi, but uh, they, they stopped collaborating uh, a little while ago. I'm sure they're all great friends. I'm sure they must be. Um, oh, yeah. It's, incidentally, the uh, C24 has got the mic amps from the 003 unit, which are apparently a great improvement over uh, previous ones that, um, you know, were in the 001 and 002, but you would expect so at that kind of cost. But um, so they're obviously proud enough of them, which if you're interested in that sound, that might be useful sideways look at the 003, which in fact um, you can see on our site reviewed by the inimitable Mr. Sean Ra. Um, it's currently up there somewhere. Uh, another quickie, um, Isotope uh, have released something called Audio RX, which is this incredible um, restoration bundle. I know they generally sound a bit dull, but now I'm getting doing a lot more video and stuff. It's incre- incredibly useful and it's... Uh, it, 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 it will do a number of different things. It'll do uh, broadband noise reduction, hiss reduction, sort of crackle and um, snap reduction, uh, and also this thing called spectral restoration, which effectively, if there's a gap in what you're doing, uh, they did this fantastic demo, which I'll post up shortly. I've just been finished editing it with a with an operatic voice, and you know the, all the reverb and everything. And there was a half second gap in it, and they just went right. Can you? And it effectively just resynthesizes what it thinks should be in the, in between by looking either side of the gap. And it was pretty blooming amazing, to be perfectly honest. It's got a declipper, and that's digital and analog clipping. It'll it'll declip, and it's also got a spectral noise hider, so you can look at the spectrum of what's going on. Say, you know, the demonstration they had was a voice and a car squeak, which you could see as a sort of broad line in the kind of spectrograph, and you just sort of draw a box around it and go, yeah, get rid of that, and it sort of goes, and <laughs> it's really. Very impressive. You know, remember the kind of Melodyne moment when everybody, if you ever saw Melodyne for the first time and everyone's just going, wow, that is just amazing. This is on a similar nature and it's 349 bucks. This sounds very much like uh, uh, there's a package. The first package to do this was came out of Cedar in Cambridge. Um, and I wish I could remember what it's called, but it's, obviously you've got a Cedar system, which is several thousand dollars. Yeah. So, uh, well, it was into um, hardware, wasn't it? CD. Yeah, and it would it would do that same thing. It would take out, um, you know, the, the squeaky chair in a performance, or somebody dropping their uh, music off the music stand or whatever, yeah. and, and you know, and it would repair it. Uh, and there's an algorithmics um, package that does a very similar thing, but it seems that um, these guys are able to do it at a, at a well, a very competitive price. They're very very smart cookies. I know Dave Spears, you you're kind of fans of theirs, aren't you? 
Yeah, love them. Uh, love, love the guys. Love the product. I've had uh, I've had this RX in beta for a little while, and uh, it's I've been using it in a very limited way, just to um, you know, basically get rid of some of the broadband noise of some samples that we've got, and it's and it's just blinding. It really is blinding. I'm really I'm very happy they've done this. Yeah, I, I'm I'm we're going to have to get it for all our video edit workstations because there's so many times when you've got clipping or you've got problems with background noise or whatever and it's just in, it'd be incredibly useful for us and i will be personally entering my credit card into their site as soon as they get, come up with a vst version that i can plug into our editing software um yeah that was pretty amazing did you see their hardware box that is more in the cedar um line isn't it is that right uh to be honest i don't know what it is but he said that they were going to announce it at aes oops i missed that one <laughs> me being there and everything <laughs> sometimes you know Things, something's just behind, just around the corner, and they didn't think about it. But well, they, may, they may have been late. I don't know. I was no, just I, interested I saw it. to know what it I was. saw it. I just can't remember what it is or what it does. Uh, SonicState.com. One of the uh, one of the items that has been causing a bit of a stir, which I managed to put up yesterday, was um, we met the uh, the team behind BanPiracy.com. Now, um, I don't know if people remember um, Dave Robinson, uh, which is fortuitous you're here because you brought us the original story. Uh, yep. Which had to do with this kind of waves covert operations for for kind of uncovering people who were using their cracks whether you know whether they were 100 percent successful it was a fairly sort of robust and dramatic way of uh, of of doing what they did and caused a bit of a stir and when i was at waves which we saw their gtr3 package which we've also got a video coming up shortly on that which is wicked by the way sounds absolutely brilliant i spoke to uh, their pr guy and said oh i just wondered if you might make a statement and he directed me towards these chaps at ban piracy um, which is apparently set up by a guy called Toma Elbaz, who's an ex-Waves director. So there is obviously some link there, and he was fairly passionate about it, in this chat called Mike David. Uh, now, um, they were very keen for me to do an interview, and I thought, great, I'll do an interview. Um, I was rather kind of handled by their media man. It was a very sort of... I imagine it's what happens if you go and in interview senators and stuff like that. They desperately wanted me to uh, to do this interview. And uh, so I did it. And it's actually been causing quite a lot of chit-chat. Uh, over at Create Digital Music, they've embedded the video from the show and it's there's 40 or 50 comments on it. And I just wondered if any of you lot had had a chance to see it and what you thought about it. Because, Dave, um, as you brought the story, what did you um, think that... And you must have been at the press conference also, did uh... I was at the press conference on the Sunday morning, and um, you... On, on the video there, you, you've got the, the essence of what they talked about. But, um, I mean, there are some significant points there. Uh, and, you know, for anybody who hasn't watched the video yet, you really do need to see this interview. But the sort of things that they are saying, and they don't actually make this clear, but apparently they have, they have detected 700 studios worldwide over the last um, 15 to 18 months. And um, the first um, lawsuits are being filed in New York um, probably round about now, actually. So they had, I think, six initially, and then they've got another 15 going out, and then some in Los Angeles, another 20 in Los Angeles. So, you know, they're really starting to hit home. And these are lawsuits going uh, going out against the um, studios that are disputing uh, the costs that they are um, they are requesting from them, um, you know, they're, or they're fighting it. Um, so, um, you know, it's an aggressive stance. And, uh, well, as, you know, as, as we've talked about before, and it's been reported in, uh, in Proto New Europe, so it, it was inevitable that, um, that something, you know, the next stage was going to happen. Um, and it's curious because Mike David is uh, very, um, chooses his words very carefully. He uses phrases oh, yeah. like reaching out to people yeah. and um, uh, opportunities. You know, it's obviously in the interest, very much in the interest of, of software companies. Um, to get on board and uh, use the use the services of ban piracy. I think they have a fairly major presentation problem. That's the thing. I think the concept is great, um, you know, in some respects, but they just come across as rather heavy kind of dudes. Yeah, well, in the press conference, um, Toma was using uh, words like combat and, uh, you know, they were using words like, you know, he's obviously a very passionate guy about, yeah. uh, you know, he's a musician, he's very passionate about what he does. And uh, he believes that, um, you know, it is no more Mr. Nice Guy, and they have to do something. They have to do something far more aggressive to... Um to uh, economic remedy is That's what is, is Mike, yes. Mike, so Mike David. Because they reckon that maybe 50% of their software is uh, is pirate, is in pirate use. So um, it's interesting on, on the video that you, that you made, you asked David... Uh, 
does he think that the uh, the reputation of I'm paraphrasing here, but you ask him whether the, the reputation of Wales has been damaged, and he says no, and that's all he says. Yeah, uh, you know, he won't he, he won't say anything more than that. Whereas um, I think you're that you and I and a lot of your uh, uh, the, the listeners and the users of the Sonic State site and certainly a chat I've seen in other places they're not very impressed with uh, with what Waves are doing but it's, it's it's difficult to argue against it when piracy is such a big problem and um, you know they, they, they're taking some affirmative action about it I suppose so I mean one thing that kind of I was wondering about was whether you know they seem oblivious to uh, any sort of negative PR and they obviously don't want the thought to spread but I mean it is you what you look at the comments just on this video uh, and you kind of realize that people you know I'm wondering whether in fact waves are perhaps not seeing the distinction between perhaps the way that they treat their customers and have treated their customers and the effect the effect of that compared to the effect of piracy and they're not actually distinguishing the, the difference between those two um, different ways of losing business. They say they're looking after their, their, their paying customers because they hate seeing the paying customers, customers moaning about uh, the guys that are using crack software and they're therefore able, you know, and if these are commercial studios, maybe are able to offer cheaper rates because they're not paying the full whack for the, uh, for the software. Mm. Right. But, but um, I, I think that, that another point that um, another point that came out, out of it was they're looking to to do this. They're looking to to police this. But um, and I should say for the record, they have a, a service set up called Go Legit um, at BanPiracy.com. Whereas if you if you think or if you feel that you have dodgy software on your system. You can email them, and they, you know, this part of this reaching out, as Mike David calls it, um, that they will help you to install the right software and get hold of the right software without um, without any case being brought against you, which is a good way to do things. I mean, they don't want to just come down with a, with a heavy hand on everybody. And this was a point in the press conference, which um, which you didn't get on your interview, Nick, was that um, the the press that were at the press conference, and there was myself, um, there was a guy from Sound on Sound, um, Jules from Gear Slots, there was a, there was a few of us in the room, and we, we were seeking clarification of how this should be policed. We couldn't get a clear answer out of Mike and Toma, as if to say, you know, this is this is how it should be. And they were basically saying studio managers should be responsible for what goes on in their studios. And, and Mel Lambert, one of the journalists there, was saying, well, what happens if you've got a four-room studio and um, you you uh, you know the studio manager can't be in every room all the time? Um, and a guy comes in, a freelance engineer, and he downloads some cracks off his uh, off his own hard drive, his own laptop, and uh, and he uses those for a session. And those cracks are there and and don't get noticed. Um, and then somebody discovers this and then shops the studio. The, are, you, are you telling us that you know that, that studio manager is, is is liable because he can't go because he should be responsible for what's there all the time? You know that that sort of thing seems impossible to police. You know, you can't go around every room in the studio every hour going, right, you got any cracks? No, fine. You know, and then go on to the next studio. You just can't do that. Sorry, Rich, you wanted to come in there. First of all, I very much enjoyed the video. And I think that guy, Mike David, is an eloquent spokesperson for their position. I consider them in no way unfriendly. I consider this in no way unduly aggressive. I do not think it will damage the reputation of Waves 5%. I um, don't believe that assessing the potential violator's intent is going to come anywhere near relevant in, in the, in the uh, way that this becomes evaluated. And, that, and to that end, the analogy I would make is you're found to have a stolen painting in your home. You had no idea it was stolen when you bought it. You bought it from a person you believe to be reputable. You can provide them with the information of from whom you bought it or who's been here for the last two or three weeks. In other words, there are legal remedies for these things already in place, but the fact is it is theft when people use this software sure, and sure. pay for it, and these people have a right to enforce their own copyrights. And I don't Man. feel that they're doing it um, un in an unfriendly or unduly aggressive way. I believe that this falls under a, a large, broad De broadly defined group of cases that are probably known as intellectual property cases, not being a lawyer, I'm speculating here, but it's 
I do believe they're reaching out, and they made it very clear that they're not here to try to lock people up over this crap. All they want is their money, and if you give us our money, we'll go away. And if you don't give us our money, we might not go away. And that's, I think, a perfectly reasonable position for them to take. Well, I would tend yep. to agree. I mean, I, I think, like I said, I think it's a presentation issue. You know, it, it, they, they come across as perhaps heavier than... than I didn't get that in the video you, you shot. Well, No, not that. at all. I would I would go have a beer with these guys. Okay. Well, no, they <laughs> were fine. they were reasonably reasonably friendly. But I mean, I think that's why I asked the question about PR because Waves are getting a battering over this, and presumably, if anybody else joins, then they might do also. I mean, but maybe you're right. Maybe ultimately, it won't have any great effect. I mean, Dave Spears, you are a software vendor. You know, what do you think about it? Where's that scotch? Um, <laughs> 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 I can say that we are terminally bored of going into studios and finding cracked versions of our software when and i think that you know if you make money out of this stuff i think i said it on the, when we talked about this before if you make money out in this industry you have an obligation to put something back and i get emails pretty much every day from people going oh i've been into such and such a studio and i was really pissed off because they were using your stuff and we discussed the price point we did this you know when we signed a deal with m audio we dropped the price and we were kind of yeah okay you know hopefully this make people more legit I'm not sure whether that's had an effect. Um, the one thing I will say is that I'm quite particular about who I would have represent us. And at the minute, I'm completely on the fence as to whether we would entertain, entertain using these guys or not. I'm not sure whether they came. Maybe it's a cultural thing. But, you know, from a UK perspective, it didn't, they didn't translate to being particularly friendly. In, you know, from what I saw of the video, he was very succinct and he chose his words very carefully. But um, I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, you know, we have to worry about the damage it does to our reputation and how aggressive we are. But like I say, you know, I am bored of it now, and uh, something has to be done. Yeah, they are operating on a no-win, no-fee basis, which is uh, which is interesting. So, you know, just see what happens with with the prosecutions because I I imagine they will publicise what happens. Um, I'm hoping they will because uh, it'll be interesting to see whether uh, they uh, they are successful. It's a it's it's a really strange situation because the ILOC guys were at the band piracy press conference and I was talking to them afterwards. And they were telling me how people uh, and studios will send their uh, their ILOCs. Um, you know they'll, they'll they'll put them on the floor and they'll break them and then they'll send them off and say uh, you know I had uh, I had the mercury bundle or, or you know I had a, a load of software um, on this iLock um, you know can you uh, can you replace it for me but the iLock guys can go in there and see exactly what's on there and um, they were saying that they, they'll look at it and find there's nothing on there at all and they go back to the studio and say sorry you know there's nothing on here there isn't what you said and and the guy in the studio will say oh I'm sorry I sent you the wrong iLock. <laughs> You know, there, there are guys out there who are, who are trying to, uh, well, you know, just aren't legit. Mm. And they shouldn't be like that if they're in commercial studios. It's just... Well, I guess maybe, you know, we could summarize by saying, you know, this is, in some ways, you know, it's making people maybe think twice about their their actions, at the very least. Uh, I mean, I know this is aimed at kind of larger facilities or facilities that are maybe using large bundles of quite expensive software, but maybe it'll sort of filter down and we'll start to see a kind of, oh, actually, maybe it's better if I don't download this, this crack. I might, you know, it might just end up kind of being on my system and I could be liable somewhere, somewhere along the line. It might just kind of make that a bit of morality come into that. Because, you know, as, as we've also discovered, there's lots of kiddies out there who don't consider this kind of thing to be any kind of theft. It's just numbers. So it's quite difficult. It's like a cultural change thing, I suppose, also. No, they're mistaken. It's a they're just yeah. mistake. They're just mistaken. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Well, exactly. But I mean, perhaps they just don't know. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. And something like this will raise the profile of this. You know, I'm curious as to the methodology that they're employing to to go after 700 studios worldwide. Are they hiring um, an enclave of of secret shoppers? Is that how they go about this? Yeah, PJ. It's been kind of well well documented that they that it that it was. Um, that it was a um, a Californian woman, I think. And they they wouldn't talk about their methods in the uh, in the press conference, but you know, from from all the evidence we have in the, uh, the, the, when we put the, the initial report together, um, it was a woman going to the studios saying, "I will book a session in your studio for several hours with a with a really great artist, but you know, we insist on using Wave plugins. Just show me what you've got." 
and that's oh. the way that they were. That's one of the principal ways, I believe, um, that they were they were um, capturing people because they were filming them covertly and then sending them a letter saying we have evidence of you using a demo or a crack or something um, you shouldn't have been using in a commercial framework. Um, you know, and if you don't pay up, we're going to uh, we're going to get heavy with you. Um, and it's interesting, Peter, because you raise a question, again, something else that wasn't brought up in the press conference, but how, after they've gone through this initial phase of capturing people this way, capturing people in the act, as it were, how do you do that again? You know, there, there's en- there are enough people being alerted to the fact they've done this. If somebody turned up in the studio now and said, um, you know, I want to use um, okie-dokie pl- plugins, you know, I- I'm going to do-, do a lot of work, but you've got to use okie-dokie plugins, they're not going to fall for it, are they? Because they're going to go, hold on a minute. You're, um, you're trying to catch me out. You're an agent. So, you know, are they going to be using serial numbers? Are they going to be just using lists of, of legitimate sales? Um, you know, and then they've got to prove that the systems are actually in place. So this is an unprecedented step. But how they then move on from here is going to be very um, interesting to, to see. You know, how they then develop yeah. their idea of catching people out. Well, I would imagine that they'd have to have some kind of contingency in place for that because it has to be fairly expensive to employ folks worldwide to go around to, you know, a potentially thousands of studios and do this kind of thing. I mean, that's a, mm. that's a time-consuming endeavor to to go and secretly film folks and train them to know exactly what to ask and how to spot what they're looking for, that type of yeah. thing. Well, and also, you know, I mean, I suppose it's uh, it, it's down to the fact of um, this is the big test case. This is the statement to say that we are here and this is what we're going to do. I'm sure they're going to use data mining and all sorts of other things that, you know, would, would help them in their case. Uh, I mean, I don't want to leave too much uh, too much time for this, but I, I think, it's it, again, you know, the discussion is open again and it, we'll have to see. One of the points I said was, you know, what's going to happen with other software companies? Will other people get on board? And if they do, and it turns out to work out well for them, then you know maybe it is a, is is a good way. And it, you know, my concerns about the kind of the worry of how you're represented as a company by by people who are doing this kind of thing is is is, is not is a really a non-starter. So it might change things for the better. I think it could, and I really hope that it does. Good. Well, I think we can perhaps leave on that positive note. Some, one other thing that I saw, which was hardware, which is the TL Audio Fat Track. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw that one. Um, this is the it's like a eight channel uh, valve desk with it's got two input channels and then four stereo summing uh, channels, which don't which all just have input gain. And uh, it just looked like a really cool little unit. It was a uh, very nicely demonstrated by um, I think Sarah Yule, who was the, the demonstrator. Um, but it was like a thousand thousand pounds. I don't know what that translates to in the do- in US dollars, but it's like a tiny little, it's almost like a little BC- Neve BCM, you know, that kind of concept. Very small um, valve-based desktop mixer and monitoring station. Don't know if anyone saw that, but there's a video. I there. did, and it's a bit like the, the VTC. It's a kind of, um, it's their take on on uh, a console. Um, and this is, I guess, their take in, uh, in uh, their take in, uh, on the front end for your for your DAW. And um, look very smart. And the fact that it's got sort of meters and it's got tubes in there. Um, I thought it looked very sexy, actually. Yeah, no, I did. And I would uh, love to get one in for review. And she said, sure, but there's a waiting list of about, you know, fifty. So because they only make it, they're they're fairly hand built. Did you see the shed? Yes, the SSL shed. That was a great PR coup. We really the, apparently Peter Gabriel came in for the day to publicise that because he has a sort of shed in his garden. Um, but SSL have got, come up with this great concept. I don't know who they partnered with, um, but essentially it's a shed that's been sort of soundproof to all the sort of the right standards with uh, an SSL AWS console in it, and you can buy it for a quarter of a million dollars, and it's like the ultimate home studio you can stick in your garden. It was just. And the shed, wow. we tried to get in there to do a video, but literally the whole time was booked up with kind of lifestyle TV channels, magazines, and people going in there. So it was a brilliant piece of PR and mm. uh, worked very, very well for them. Did you get a chance to look in, Dave? I did, actually. And it was, it was beautiful inside because uh, Gabriel had, had been over and um, brought some artwork from, uh, from Real World, um, and, you know, some of his art collection. And working with uh, Donovan Stark, who's the SSL representative over there, they'd... Um, uh, they'd all sort of uh, fitted it out, and uh, Donovan said to me, you know, Peter Gabriel said, we're putting that one there, and he said, left it, left a bit, right a bit, you know. Um, and they'd also got, they got a, a wine rack in there, and um, they got this, this really heavy kind of cedar scent. It was just really, it was a really nice place to be. And, and what he said to me was, um, 
you know, it's based on the writing room at, at Real World, as, as you say. Yeah. Um, he, he said that the actual design for the shed was was more a kind of uh, more or less an, an off the shelf shed. <laughs> you know, it was right. kind of uh, it's, it's a standard one that they do, um, but the the actual size of it was just right. It was something like sixteen feet or something like that from from the the, the two furthest extremes in the in the in the uh, in the building, um, and it was just right for the uh, for to avoid kind of standing ways and to get a really nice acoustic sound um, in the actual uh, in the in the shed. Um, but that was kind of almost by um, almost by accident, it seems. Ah, oh, look, very yeah. cool. I'd love one of those in my garden. Well, I was, I was, I was in there a few times, and uh, first of all, I didn't see any soundproofing whatsoever. Well, there were a couple of panels hanging, like little. Yeah, there's some Oralex and there's some space couplers but, on the ceiling. But, but really, the walls were just bare uh, wood and you know plank and uh, and support and beams and stuff and such. And uh, it was the joke. The joke was because I met a guy. Who, I guess you guys have probably seen this, but I met a guy who's worked in Peter Gabriel's writing room. And apparently, this thing was a little more like Peter Gabriel's outhouse in terms of the size of the thing. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> yeah. You can't have everything, for, not for 250000 bucks. No, you? no, and it smelled like a lovely, I, I said it, SSL cedar closet. <laughs> You're saying Peter Gabriel's in the closet. <laughs> well, he was that, he must have been that day. He was there, apparently, and we really tried hard to get an interview, but um, sadly, we were a bit too far. You went GQ or the New York Times. Exactly. Never uh, mind. I bet you did, though, Dave, didn't you? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> that makes me feel a little better in some kind of reverse way. I didn't even know he'd been at the show until uh, until the following day. But but I, I like the fact that within within the environment of the AES show, which has got normal booths and guys standing around in suits, you have this shed, <laughs> you know, just as a concept. But also, I didn't even know if you saw the E session stand well, where they go. had like a French ma- they had a French bedroom with a French maid sitting on this bed. So the, at the back did. of yeah, so that was kind of you had a, you had a shed and you had a bedroom. Yeah, I think we need somebody to to get a kitchen. I would just like to say at this point, for those who are who are kind of ears pricked up at the sound of French maid, we have actually got her captured on video doing a bit of saucy polishing. So uh, <laughs> I thought you might have. <laughs> so I no, definitely one for the camera. I actually took a picture on that bed. <laughs> I think that's enough, Rich. I don't want to hear anymore. We were all fully clothed. I mean, don't get me wrong. We were all fully clothed and everything. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what, though? She wasn't really French. And, uh-huh. and you, couldn't beat, you couldn't beat those custom-embroidered E-Session pillowcases. Beautiful. We did a piece on that. I haven't actually reviewed it because I didn't edit that one. Um, but um, that, I think that's going up or is up. I'll, I'll have a look today and see what's not there. What, what on E-Session? You- on, e- on E-Session, yeah. We did a, a, a piece on it. It's, I, I have to tell you, I mean, I've been a uh, beta tester for them. It's brilliant. It really is. And those people are wonderful. And I'm rooting for them big time. Well, good. I hope it works out for them. Okay. Nick, could I just um, I just tell you one more highlight? Yes, of course. And then i better go, actually. But um, Jeff Emmerich, who was uh, one of the uh, original sound engineers for uh, the Beatles, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners will know, um, held a session uh, on the first afternoon, which was uh, hosted by Peter Filial of the uh, APRS, and they showed, um, uh, and it was Emmerich talking about the 40th anniversary recording of Sgt. Pepper, and um, it was it was fascinating to hear uh, to hear him talk and to see the uh, see the video that they'd made. Um, they made some video clips, not unlike the ones that you've got, um, about the sessions. And um, you know, there's lots of points that came from it, but, but particularly was, uh, well, and just to give you the context, they recorded this album. They tried as much as possible to to re- to re-record it using obviously today's bands, like the Kaiser Chiefs and the Stereophonics and Oasis, but using the um, uh, using four track, using the original Red Desk R E D D, and um, you know the original four track machines. Which they hadn't powered up in years and years, and kind of worked straight away, which is uh, which is quite something. But it was interesting. The Kaiser Chiefs came in, and they were saying, uh, you know, so we're doing it to four track. And uh, there was that you could see that there was a moment where the Kaiser Chiefs realised that, uh, you know, it really depended on on their skills as a band. They this was a real kind of uh, a leveller for them and to show if they could if they could really cut it as a as a unit, you know. Yeah. And they only had a day to record um, one track, and uh, they were talking to the drummer, and he was saying, uh, you know, we normally we do we do a few takes and we'd take the, the chorus and we'd take the drum part from the chorus and we'd move it around if we liked it. And, you know, we've had to do sort of about 20 takes today. I mean, that's just not something we would do. 
And there was this real kind of um, uh, surprise in their eyes that they'd, they'd done it this way, but ultimately that, that, that they were able to do it. So I'm sure it was very satisfying for them. But it was um, another example they gave, and, and this, is, uh, this is even better. Um, the, uh, another one of the songs, and he wouldn't name the band, and, and, and I can see why, um, but uh, they had the, uh, the guys singing uh, in harmony rather than individual tracks. And when they sang in harmony on, on the, uh, in the recording, um, the singing was all over the place. And it turned out that they had never actually had to sing in harmony in a studio before. Normally, you know, they, re they record individually, and they put the things together, and auto-tune or whatever, tweak them like that. And um, it took them about four hours to actually get this right. Uh, and, but they, uh, they, were, they were really quite emotional. The band said that they were really quite emotional because uh, they, they didn't realize that, that they could actually do it. So quite a revelation. Well, that's interesting because, I mean, that, that whole thing about singing together in a group and harmonies, it, it, it is really primal and it does make you feel, it gives you that endorphin or whatever it is that you get. I mean, Rich, you, you probably know this and various other people who perhaps sing. I, I, my singing days are, are long gone, but uh, I do remember once or twice when I used to have to, it was very rewarding when it kind of came off. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I can actually, I have a good story that I'll tell very briefly of a very famous band that just released their second record, who shall remain nameless but go by the, a color and a number, uh, <laughs> who I recorded, who I recorded, <laughs> who I recorded a few years back uh, at uh, Avatar in New York, and we had them all set up, ready to go, and uh, it came to pass that they had never played together before in the studio. Wow. As a band. I was shocked to learn this. I couldn't believe it. It just seemed inconceivable to me because they already had one album out that was hugely successful. And uh, it took them a minute, to say the least. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind. So, kind so I mean, so uh, guys, you know, who've never sung together, that doesn't surprise me in the least when you've got guys with like, you know, mega double, triple, quadruple platinum albums that have never played together in the studio. Shall we adjourn? I, I, that was a little freeform, guys. I, I'd just like to point out that everybody's been kind of dangling because I didn't really have any show notes at all this week and just kind of were chewing the fat on a couple of things that we saw at AES. So I'm sorry, PJ and Dave, if you felt a little left out as not being there, but um, it's the best I could do under the circumstances. And That's uh, great. As ever, oh, it's been fun. Yeah. As ever, it's always good to have you all here. So, um, Thanks very much for that, guys. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. And thank you also, uh, Dave Spears from G4 Software. Thank you. G4Software.com. Soon to be released virtual string machine, no doubt. Or is yeah, released. Count, no, counting the days now. Counting the days, not long now, not long to go. And uh, Rich Hilton from Connecticut, thank you very much for your input. And, and great to meet you, by the way, in oh, person. Uh and you, Nick, and I, you know, I really love doing these and love to be talking to you guys. It was great meeting you. Okay, well, uh, it was great meeting you too. I'm so sorry we didn't get time to have a little beer together. Next time. Next time. And uh, I'll be raising one spiritually to you tomorrow on your birthday. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind. And have a good flight over to the UK and enjoy your chic gig somewhere in deepest London. Thank you very much. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. Nick, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I wish I would have made it out to AES to, uh, to meet you as well, but uh, I will be coming to Winternam. Ah, great. Well, we can all get together then. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much, and see you Brilliant. next time. Cheers. Great, thank Nick. you. Cheers. Bye. And remember, folks, comments are always welcome. We'll be happy to read them out or play them or however they arrive. Uh, you can email them at, to sonictalk at sonicstate.com. We can just take words or MP3s. Or if you've got Skype, uh, you can call us on Sonic Talk, the handle Sonic Talk. Oh, we've got an answer phone there. Just leave us a message. Uh, we've got Skype in numbers in the US for that. Uh, so dial 312-376-8089 if you're inside the US. Or if the UK is closer or you're in the UK, 0207-870-8616. Remember to dial your country code for those if you're outside either of those countries. That's US telephone number 312-376-8089 UK 0207-870-8616 Thanks for listening. Sonic. States. Not called.